the biggest thing that changed about my life is like not really having any time for myself because you're opening something and you're doing something that's going to have a huge impact on the rest of your life. Hey, you're 86. I'm Justin Myers, and this is a show about how bartenders handle bad situations. You ever thought about opening up your own bar? My guest today is Simi Graywall. She's the co-founder of Decant, a brand new wine shop and bar in San Francisco. We got to talk about her journey from an idea to opening the doors of her own business. Let's get into it. Once we knew that that had to be a critical part of our of our business plan, then yeah, we were full on <laughs> pretty much opening a bar, whether or not we want to admit it, because then you have to start looking at your back bar refrigeration and your three compartment mm-hmm. sink and what kind of dishwasher and you know, right. every space we looked at, we'd have to look at what are the plumbing logistics and, you know, all of this stuff that you don't have to think about if you're just opening a, a, a shop. Yeah. Um, so that was really a process as, as far as then finding the space because we had, in San Francisco, it is very difficult to find a space that is zoned for on and off premise mm. in a neighborhood where the police department is going to allow you to sell on and off premise. Mm. Seems like a huge part of, Globally, business is just dealing with all of those laws and that bureaucracy. And um, what was that like? And do you have a? Did you like get lawyers and, and yeah, have a we, team? Or so we 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 did have a we do have a very fantastic lawyer uh, who specializes in restaurant law, uh, Roberta Economides, and she's really well known in San Francisco. She's mm-hmm. helped out a lot of the businesses uh, grow over the past twenty years in this city. Um, but as far as specifically dealing with the ABC licensing um, and everything that came with that, we actually had to outsource to an ABC expediter um, called the ABC Company um, <laughs> out in uh, Oakland. And so th- it, was, it wasn't more so of a legal action as much as it was them just knowing the process mm-hmm. of kind of how to file you know who to who to deal with at these departments who's going to be most friendly towards your uh, towards your petition and um, you know they obviously they were they everything that they guided us through they would do with a fistful of salt and say look there's a good chance that this is not going to go through because <sighs> because so many people every year have to deal with this problem of you know getting part of what they want and not all of what they want and for us specifically that meant having a space where we can sell on-premise and off-premise and mm. everybody, you know, board of supervisors, uh, local business district, police department, everyone's going to be happy with it because there's always somebody who comes up along the way and says, oh, I don't want this in my neighborhood. It's not good for ABC reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that actually is what made our search for real estate such a long, drawn-out process. We, uh, we looked for almost, I want to say, almost two and a half years um, for a space to sign a lease on. Mm-hmm. And most of that was due to us seeing a space and then kind of having to deal with the planning department and the police department and the board of supervisors, you know, the local district supervisors to find out whether or not we could actually operate the way we wanted to operate. Mm-hmm. And so you'd have, you know, you'd see a space and you'd start the lease negotiation process. And in that time, you'd start dealing with the local politics. And after a month or two months, you'd find out, okay, wait, this is not going to pass in this neighborhood. Or if you did find a space that the zoning would allow for, the landlords would kind of bully you into saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, the retrofitting hasn't been done in 50 years, so you're going to have to contribute $100,000 mm-hmm. or $200,000 to that. And so at that point, it's just, you know, we're a small business. Yeah. 
You're just we're trying not, to survive. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like they yeah exactly. We, we did raise a lot of money off private investment, mm-hmm. um, but not enough to take care of somebody else's retrofitting problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of financing, how, how does someone go from an industry where you typically aren't making a lot of money to having the money it takes to open your own bar? Um, I think, well, a lot of that is uh, Cara and myself, we both have backgrounds of working in kind of higher end places. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time down on the peninsula working at the Village Pub. Mm-hmm. Um, Cara worked at Cezanne and Hakkasan. And I think it's just, A, it's a factor of making a lot of connections. And, mm-hmm. and while you're at those places, even if those connections don't necessarily materialize into money, it's people's support. Um, and words of encouragement, and when that word gets spread, then that kind of raises interest. I see. So for us, um, we th- this is the part where the having an attorney helped quite a bit mm-hmm. um, because she Roberta has has brokered so many deals with helping uh, restaurants and restaurant groups uh, fundraise, and so she was really our first point of contact for how do we do this and. Um, she, you know, she structured, basically she helped us structure an investment uh, an investment deal and uh, helped us to pitch that around. And essentially, in, in the end, the, most of the financing ended up coming from very close friends and family, people who you didn't really expect to say, hey, oh, yeah, here's, mm. here's a bunch of money, and I trust you guys to hopefully turn it into profit. Um, and then actually, also very surprisingly, other people in the wine and food industry, people who you didn't anticipate saying, yeah, I can write you a check. Um, and I think that that was really a heartwarming thing for us is for so many people who work in the industry to turn around and say, hey, here's my money, and I want you guys to build something great because working in the industry, we know that it's not yeah. always so easy to come by a healthy amount of money in the bank account. Yeah. And so it, it ended up coming from a lot of people that we're very close with. I imagine you and Cara did the bulk of the work on this place, but how many people would you say were involved in from the beginning to getting the doors open? Uh, well, um, I mean, definitely Cara and I obviously were just like slaving away for quite a while, but there were so many people involved in this process because we started from day one, you know, when we actually sat down to say, okay, let's start writing a business plan. That was like three and a half years ago, maybe. Hmm. Uh, probably more, honestly. Was that kind of the first step in... Yeah. And taking the idea to a physical exactly, place. and it started with something so simple as we we found this like a online, um, I guess temp not even a template. It's a website that you can use to say, okay, this is if you're building a business plan, like these are all the steps, and it kind of guides you through everything, and then helps you turn all of that stuff into graphs and data, and mm. you know, it really it really helped us um, to just build something physical, a PDF that we could hand yeah. out to people, and then from there we started using connections and just reaching out to other people in the industry who had opened up businesses um, who could look at that plan and say, okay, well, here are the great things about this. Here are the terrible things about it. Here are my notes before you start taking it to investors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a really big thing. I think we probably spent six to eight months like just writing and re-editing that physical plan before we turned it into something that we could actually pitch to mm. people. Um, and I, I mean, I have to say that overall, I mean, probably it was probably 50 or 60 points of contact for people who just like helped us, mentored us, guided mm. us, you know, whether it was 
my uncles who work in finance back in New York giving me their very harsh critiques or other owners like um, uh, like Jen, uh, Jen Palka, who owns the Riddler. She was super mm -hmm. helpful in giving us her notes and telling us how she opened up her space. Um, other wine, wine shop owners in Oakland, uh, you know, people who had opened businesses that have nothing to do with food, but who had mm -hmm. MBAs and were our friends and who were willing to say like, hey, these are things that might help you. And in the end, you're taking in so much information from so many different yeah. people that you have to really figure out what works for you and what doesn't. Because, I mean, the original business plan that we started crafting on that, you know, online platform, in, in the end, we didn't end up using that. But it, for mm -hmm. us, it was a really important time to at least flesh out our thoughts so that by the time we were ready to pitch to people, it was so easy to just say, okay, yeah, these are our sales goals and these are our... This is what's driving us and inspiring us, and this is why we're going to be different. That's an interesting point about how much it changed. How how much did your original vision change from the time you started this process to the time you opened the doors? Honestly, I don't think it changed incredibly, aside from the fact that when we were in the middle of construction, I think there was a moment where we looked at this and we were like, oh, we're opening a bar. <laughs> like, <laughs> not necessarily we're opening a retail shop, an education space, but like, oh, we're opening a bar. And that, um, and, and I, I, mean, I don't think we were that surprised by it, but when mm -hmm. we physically, because we knew all along, obviously, we wanted the on-premise component. Right. But when we physically looked at how the space ended up, you know, it was definitely very... Um, apparent to us that it's you know probably a lot of our sales are going to be derived from people just hanging out here and drinking mm. which is fantastic yeah um <clears throat> but we're also hoping that eventually when we launch our online component our online sales and our wine clubs during the summer that you know that'll obviously drive more retail traffic mm -hmm. but i think that part of why the why this worked why this got open why it opened so smoothly for Karna is because we've always had a very clear vision mm -hmm. and we've always been very um, true to making sure that the decisions we were carrying out were in service of the vision. And, um, you know, I think that if you, if you go in really clear headed and you have a good idea of what you want it to be, then it should, you know, theoretically it should work out. It's, it's, but it's about organization and really being committed to what you're building. And mm -hmm. again, fleshing out that business plan for so long kind of really helped us be firm in this is what we want to do. What would you say was your biggest surprise? Something you didn't expect throughout this process? <laughs> biggest surprise? I think the biggest surprise was how long it took to find a space, mm. honestly. Um, because I, I just, I truly don't believe we anticipated it taking two years and that we would have to see so many places and have so many false starts. Mm. You know, I... I left a really healthy job um, working as a sommelier for Grand Award program back in 2016, thinking wow. that, okay, now we're going to kick this into high gear and hopefully within the next year we can be open. And, you know, we didn't get open until 2019. <laughs> so that tells you, you know, the amount of false starts we had. Um, <clears throat> and I think it, it's, it's a number of reasons in San Francisco is that as a small business, there's a lot of availability as far as commercial retail space. But in this city, the landlords don't have any incentive to rent out for below what they feel is yeah. a healthy rate because there's no, there's no vacancy tax here. Mm. And so you'd walk into a lot of places and, you know, they, they've evicted the previous tenant 
or basically the lease has come up and they've jacked up the rent so high that whoever was there for the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years yeah. has to move. But then they're like, okay, great, my space is vacant. I'm going to write it off as a loss. And whoever comes in next, I'm going to assume has you know, a quarter of a million dollars to redo the space and then launch their small business. <laughs> and it's just such an unrealistic expectation. And I think the surprising thing to us was that you know, it's it's really hard. You have to be super committed, and you have to have a healthy. Um, you have to you have to have a really good access to capital mm. to make it happen. I mean, we were very firm in that. You know, we set a goal for ourselves for how much money we would raise, and beyond that, I you know, I I very firmly said we're not going to raise more than this amount because ultimately we have to pay all this money back plus interest. Right. And it's not realistic for us to say, hey, let's open a business and then spend. 10 to 12 years paying it back off. Like that mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense. You know, whatever we do, we want to be able to pay it off in the next couple of years and then be able to grow our brand into other spaces and other neighborhoods and other markets. So you set a limit that was Oh yeah, realistic. so we, yeah, we set a very firm limit of, okay, this is how much we think it, we need to open a business in San Francisco. And if we cannot do it within this number, we're not going to look at that space anymore. Um, and so that, that was part of the reason that I think, you know, we had to, we would get really far in the uh, process of going through a lease negotiation. And then after a month or two months or three months, sometimes we'd yank it because we were just not willing to be bullied by landlords who yeah. don't care about the growth of small business. Right. The, it seems like there's not a lot of incentive for them. <laughs> not a uh, lot of incentive. And also I think most surprisingly is, you know, we are two young female entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. first-time business owners. And I think another surprising factor was some of the landlords who would go through the process of talking to us through our brokers, you know, in email exchanges or on paper, and then they would meet us and kind of have this moment of, of oh, yeah, you guys are, you guys are, you know, in a very kind of, uh, not an offen outrightly offensive way, but after mm -hmm. they'd met us, suddenly an offer would be pulled. Mm -hmm. And I think, and that was mostly coming from older men who had owned property in the city for a long time, and we're just kind of apprehensive to the idea of, you know, giving giving space to two young female entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, to the point where Carl and I started joking halfway through the process that we should change, we should start signing our emails Carl and Simon, <laughs> and, and see what happens. <laughs> Which we did not do, but uh, honestly, there were moments of frustration where we thought this might help our case. How did this pl this particular space come to be? Like, what what made this? different. I know that this was city beer store at one yeah. point in time. And that um, was so a huge, huge factor for us. Um, so a couple things happened, which is, you know, city beer moved out in August mm -hmm. and they moved to a much larger location a couple blocks away. Yeah. And so this space came up on LoopNet and Cara, who is every day she was scouring mm -hmm. Craigslist, LoopNet, you know, everything. Um, she saw it and immediately sent it over to our broker and said, get us into this space. I want to see it. And I'm sure you've probably, you saw the City Beer space when they were yeah. here, that it was a very different space physically. You know, when we came in, there was no paint anywhere. Nothing was finished. Everything was gray cinder block. The ceiling with exposed pipes was unfinished. It yeah. was still just pipes. You know, they, they had really put their money into the product. And, yeah. and that's why now that they've been so successful, they've been able to move into this really gorgeous space on mission. Um, so we saw the space and we said, okay, well, we can do some cosmetic work, but the space has been proven to be successful because mm. City Beer was there for 10 years. 
They did a fantastic job. They moved to an even better location. Um, and on top of that, City Beer was doing kind of the same thing that we were thinking about doing, which is on-premise and off-premise. Obviously, their focus was beer, ours is wine. Yeah. But because of that, we knew that the police department would probably be okay with us moving in and, and carrying on the same style mm -hmm. of business. So that was a huge, huge, huge factor for us in saying we have to jump on this space, we have to make this lease negotiation work. So that was the first thing. The second thing was that the landlord was really eager to just get somebody into the space, oh. which was unlike a lot of the other spaces we had looked at, um, because a lot of the landlords, you know, they would kind of jerk you around, they'd really try to, you know, they wouldn't try to meet you halfway on anything. They'd just say, look, this is the deal, and if you want to mm. be in this neighborhood and you want to be in this space, this is what you have to do. Um, and they weren't very responsive also. You know, you're dealing with brokers and lawyers and, you know, they take two weeks to respond and you take a week to review what they've sent and respond and so forth. And it would just take forever. This landlord, we saw the space in early October. Um, by the end of October, we had started lease negotiations. And by the middle of December, we had signed a lease. And by January 10th, we had started construction. So looking at that time frame, I mean, on both ends, we were very eager to get the deal done, and mm. he didn't want his space sitting empty. He wanted something here, and he wanted a good business. And you know, he met with us, and he said, "I liked, I like what you guys have done previously with your careers. You both seem like you know you have a very clear vision for what you want to be done." And you know, we had also we had a design firm that we were using, um, Roy, which is formerly Hannah, Hannah Collins Designs, and they had seen a ton of spaces with us, so they also had a very clear idea of what our vision was. Mm. And so literally, I mean, we had started doing the blueprints and the plans and everything before the lease had been signed. Because we knew as soon as the lease is signed, we have to get going as fast as possible. Yeah. How did your experience from the other places you work tie into opening this place? I think, you know, my previous experience personally is, you know, I had a lot of, I had a lot of Michelin star background. And so that kind of excellence reflex of just making sure things are done really well the first time and being highly organized. Mm. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, for instance, like designing the bar in a way that made sense to how we wanted the space to be used and not just, you know, we want things to look pretty, but not functional. Um, right. And then... Laying out the space, a big thing for us is that we wanted part of the space to be an event space. Um, so also, I mean, if you look around here, if you're in this space, you'll notice it's kind of very minimally designed as far as wine shops, quote unquote, go. Mm -hmm. Because we only have a couple bottles of each skew on the walls. Um, because we really want people to just be comfortable being in the space and not be overwhelmed by You don't like, want it to feel like a liquor store. Exactly. We don't want it to feel like a liquor store. We want it to feel like, oh, yeah, you're hanging out in somebody's living room mm -hmm. and just feeling comfortable. Um, so, you know, it, it, when we were unpacking everything and going through the opening process, I think just keeping in mind that there are a lot of easy ways to get caught up in opening and, like, lose sight of the details, mm -hmm. we just had to stay very organized. And, you know, and that meant, like, okay, when we're purchasing wine, we have to remember we're not just going to be unpacking and putting it all, all of it on the wall. So we can't just buy everything because we're not going to physically have space to put it everywhere so just mm. being organized as far as creating budgets um creating shopping lists uh you know really communicating with each other clearly and having arguments when you need to have arguments and then <laughs> compromises when you need to have compromises i think all those things that can stress you out um in an opening we knew we kind of knew what to look out for mm. 
and managing your stress is a big part of that. So I think we were able to do it just because we, it's you, when you hear other people's stories and you listen to them, you, you, have, you know what to prepare for. Mm. And how did you manage your stress? How did you keep balance in your day-to-day life uh, <laughs> throughout this whole process? Um, I think uh, for me personally, it was if I decided I'm taking a day off, I would just not respond to anything or anybody. Um, that, that was for me was it, like giving myself time to just not think about it. Because already during the whole opening process, you know, you're, you're constantly having nightmares about budgets mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things breaking and earthquakes striking and everything, yeah. you know, falling to shit around you. Um, those are a lot of the nightmares that I would have constantly. Um, so for me, it was just really important to kind of put my screens away when I mm. decided I was taking a day off. I'm not quite sure how Kara managed her stress because her mind is super active and she's constantly thinking about doing things. And so I think for her, it's almost, I think her managing, managing her stress comes from always working on the issue and like feeling like she's tackled something. Mm-hmm. Um, or playing video games. That's another way she deals with it. <laughs> <laughs> did you, how did you have to change your routine um, in your day-to-day life through all this? Because oh, I imagine man. there was a lot of weird... Yeah, you probably I mean... couldn't kind of keep a normal schedule. Yeah, I mean, well, so like I said, I, I, left, I left my full-time job in 2016, and then uh, eventually, obviously, I had to go back to work because it was taking much longer than we anticipated. Yeah. So I picked up a job at a wine bar in Hayes Valley, um, which was, you know, I mean, it was a really kind of easy like when I'm not there I don't have to think about it because I wasn't managing it was an hourly job which was fantastic Mm. Um, but definitely I think my day-to-day routine changed in that I was having a lot less time for myself Mm. um, but I was mentally prepared for it Mm. and then as we got closer to the opening and I left that job in Hayes Valley I mean you're just on 24 hours a day there's really no escaping it Um, but again setting expectations like, I, I knew that that was going to be the case. And I wasn't surprised by, okay, I'm working eight, an 18-hour day to try and get ready for this and try and get everything done. Because some days, you don't have anything to do. You know, during the build-out process, like, there's not really much you can do because you don't have your liquor license. So, you you know, we didn't have our liquor licenses yet, so we couldn't really be tasting so much. We could taste a little bit, but a lot of people were kind of like, well... You know, in our minds, it was like, all right, we could start tasting, but liquor license is not going to come through for another six weeks. So if we taste something now and we can't order it for six to eight weeks, mm. then, you know, is it worth taking away time from our schedule and the reps' schedules? No. So we kind of had to... Sometimes I don't even have it by that point. Exactly. And that's exactly <laughs> run why... run out of vintage or whatever. Yeah. And that's exactly why we were like, okay, you, the timing is really... It's, it's really compact. Yeah. So basically, as soon as we were kind of, we started to really get the sense, okay, this liquor license is going to go through in the next, you know, four to five weeks. Then we kind of started just tasting like maniacs and we would be here all day or we would be at one of our houses all day. You know, we'd be tasting sometimes 50, 60 wines in a day with four or five different reps (laughs) because you're just trying to get, first of all, you you have a lot of people you owe favors to um, Mm -hmm. and you want to give people business because now you're in a position to do so. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're just, the, the time, though, that's, I think that's the biggest thing that, to go back to your question, the biggest thing that changed about my life is, like, not really having any time for myself mm. because you're opening something and you're doing something that's going to have a huge impact on the rest of your life. 
in one way or the other, but like right now is that time where every part of yourself is devoted just to this one thing. I imagine it would help to know that well, that would come to an end at some point. Um, hopefully, yeah, hopefully when we can hire somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I think right now we're just kind of working to the goal that if we can get like one really good uh, part-time uh, employee or even a full-time employee, then mm -hmm. at least we can get more than one day off a week, each mm -hmm. of us. Um, so that's kind of, I think, in our heads what we're working to, but I can honestly say that at the moment, I don't think either of us mind the fact that we're here, you know, 60, 70 hours a week because we're building something and this is something that we worked so hard for for so long and sacrificed a lot for. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's okay. I haven't gotten totally sick of it yet. <laughs> and obviously we built out a space that we're comfortable in. The, the beauty yeah, of being able to design something yourself is you know what you need to be happy. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, if you, you know, behind you, we have this huge office space, which I've, I've never worked in a restaurant that has, you know, so much square footage dedicated to just office space. Mm -hmm. And But for us, it was like, well, if we're going to be here constantly, it's really important that we have a space where we can just go and kind of tune out everything else and focus on what needs to be focused on or just take a minute or, like, eat my dinner, you know, whatever it is that you don't get to do normally when you're working in a bar or a restaurant. Yeah. We tried to build those spaces for ourselves so that we could at least enjoy the time while we're here. Yeah, what's it been like since now that you've had people to do it, now you've actually been pouring glasses of wine and selling um, bottles? And yeah, it's been pretty cool. I think what gets me most excited is that people are really embracing the concept. I mean, the first time everybody walks in here, they get really confused because, mm -hmm. you know, on one hand, you have, a, you know, half the space where you have shelves and bottles and you have refrigerators with filled with product. And they look at that and they're like, okay, should I be shopping? But then the other half of the space has all this wonderful seating and it's really open and big. And so, you know, half the people who come in will come in and automatically sit down at the bar and kind of wait for service. And the other half just kind of stand at the bottom of the stairs and, you know, wait for us <laughs> to make eye contact. So the first day was really hard for service because one of the critical mistakes we made was putting the buy, we have a small buy the glass menu in addition to all the retail because, you know, not everybody wants to buy a whole bottle and commit. Right. So we do have a small buy the glass menu and the biggest mistake we made on the first day was putting that above the actual bar space mm. because everyone was walking over to the bar and ordering, trying to order here when it was just the two of us and it was a very busy day. Um, but then, uh, but then the register is, at, is on the other side of our U-shaped bar Mm. or rather our L-shaped bar. And so we were, because what we were trying to do is get everyone to check out at the register or open a tab at the register before they come and sit down and make themselves comfortable. So on day two, we changed that around and we moved that by the glass menu right behind the register and we put a different thing up at the bar that said order at the register. Mm. So that definitely helped out quite a bit. Um, but... Uh, you know, now we're, we're in the habit of every time somebody walks in and you can see that kind of look of slight confusion or wonder, wondering in their eyes, like, what's going on? Uh, we just catch them and we say, hey, welcome in. Is your first time here? And just, you know, explaining to them very mm -hmm. quickly what the concept is. Uh, and that has made our lives a thousand times easier as far as managing service. That's great. Yeah, I think there's not a lot of, there's not too many businesses that are both a retail shop and uh it, it's it's kind of it feels like a new concept to people yeah right? we're, yeah. we're used to just going to the grocery store or the liquor store to buy yeah. our wine and then when we go to a bar we drink it there yeah um, exactly and like you know 
Um, I don't know if you've traveled a lot in Europe, but you see this kind of concept everywhere oh, where totally. you can just grab something off the wall yeah. and open it up there and have some cheese and have some meat. And, you know, I, I think a lot of the reason you don't see that around these parts is because our, our liquor laws are way more strict yeah. and you've never had prohibition. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's, it's a hard concept to kind of get behind, but as soon as people realize what it is, they're like, Oh, this is Pretty great. Cool. Like I want to do this all the time. Yeah. So, so what was your favorite part of, of this whole process, would you say? I think my favorite part was just, like, getting the chance to put my stamp on something as far as, you know, these are wines and beers that I am excited to drink and excited to talk about. Um, and just, like, having literally, I mean, literally, yes, having the ownership, but also it's, like, you know, I'm not doing this because... You know, my boss is telling me I need to hit a certain goal for the quarter and I'm not going to make a bonus if I, you know, if I mm. don't hit these numbers um, or like I need to move this product because you because somebody brokered a deal with somebody else. Um, you know, it's working for yourself is incredibly satisfying. I mean, it's terrifying. I cannot tell you the amount of sleepless nights that I had, <laughs> you know, leading up to the opening once we had actually raised all the money. And then you're sitting there and being like, oh, my God, I have to pay all this money back now. Um, that's a really terrifying thing, but definitely the most satisfying thing is just being able to say, yeah, like I tried all these wines and we selected them and we have a reason for putting the stuff here. And, you know, when somebody asks you like, oh, are you the owner? Now I can finally say yes, because <laughs> I am here every night and it's not for somebody else. It's for myself, you know, because mm. I can tell you the amount of places I worked where people have been like, oh, are you the owner? And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Don't know where the owner is, but <laughs> but I'm here every day. So, Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful space, and I'm really, I'm really Thank excited you. to that you guys are open. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And thanks so much for being on the show. Of it was course, really great thanks for thanks for chatting. That was Simi Graywall. Opening your own bar is hard work, but it's not impossible. If you have a clear vision and you build on your experience and your network of friends and family in the industry, be sure to hit subscribe, share with your colleagues. And check us out online at your86.com. We also have a 15% off sale on merch right now if you want to pick up a t-shirt. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.